Hi, I'm Mary Lou Belli. I am one of the directors on Black Lightning and NCIS New Orleans and The Secret of Sulphur Springs, as well as I've directed a show called Legacies, amongst many, many others. And I am so happy to be here and part of Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast where there is a tremendous amount of goodwill involved. I'm your host Craig and I'm here to lead a discussion through the latest Marvel TV show, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that very unwieldy title. Joining me for this discussion, I dug her up in a country that has no extradition treaty because it's safer there. And she's probably selling a lot of paintings and things. It's Kat. No divulging my terrible villainous secrets, Craig. Jeez. Sorry. Trying to make a living here. (laughs) Trying to make a living. Not just a living, a very (laughs) affluent living. (laughs) If you're going to go bad, do it right, I guess. That's pretty much what it said. But almost verging into spoilers. (laughs) Go big or go home. It's what we've been saying here since the Pacific Rim podcast. We weren't kidding, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Go big or go home, or in that case... Go big because you can't go home. <laughs> Almost verging into spoilers there, though. So, yeah, we're here to talk The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The very unwieldy title. There's too many this in the title of this TV yes, show. Yes, it's just that bit untitle-like, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a little bit... Yeah, unwieldy, I think, is a very good word. Awkward, I would say. Just even looking at it in the opening credits every time, you know, it'd be like The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, okay, that just doesn't seem like a title, does it? There was probably a better one somewhere, and they just kind of went, eh, that'll do. <laughs> Damn these heroes and their need for the definite article in front of their name. Truly. (laughs) Awkwardness on their part. Do better with your weird superhero names. Come on, guys. Also, everyone's going to call the show without the this anyway, so... Exactly. Anyway, we're not here to analyse the title, even though we just have. (laughs) As always, we'll start with non-spoilers. So without spoiling anything for anyone, what did you think of this show? I kind of went in expecting it to be kind of -of run-of-the-mill Marvel, kind of like a Marvel movie, but with episodes. And that's kind of what I got with a few moments of surprising depth, which I found very interesting and definitely welcomed it. It actually has something to say on a couple of fronts, actually. And all right. (laughs) I would say on a scale of one to ten, It's a six and a half or a seven. Above average, didn't rock my world, but there was enough merit in it and stuff that I quite enjoyed that it's absolutely worth a watch, especially, obviously, if you're invested in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the storyline that a lot of those movies kind of contribute to that lead us to this point. Definitely, definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I'd say without, again, veering into spoilers, because we will <laughs> at length in a minute, I did think that it lagged a little bit. In the middle, there was just a weird couple episodes where I was like, did we need this? Or rather, a couple of subplots that could be squished a little bit and tightened and not kind of meander. 
But overall, for a six-episode miniseries even, yeah, pleasantly surprised, I suppose. Cat Corbetti, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> pleasantly surprised, I suppose. It's going to be on the Blu-ray cover. Right, yeah. Really Three Blu-ray. stars. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best we got. It's, it's going on the cover. <laughs> I had higher expectations than you did, although it didn't meet my expectations, but I don't mean that in a bad mm-hmm. way. It did more than meet my expectations. I was expecting a bit of a buddy cop adventure thing where they bicker and go from place to place and fight people. And if I'd got that, I would have been pretty happy with it because basically that's what they were trying to sell to me, at least in the early trailers. But I found that they did a lot more than that and gave me something else. And I find that Marvel consistently do that. I walk into something expecting something and then they'll deliver much more than I was expecting or deliver something different, but equally valid. Mm. So I was really impressed with how it did that. I get what you're saying about it lagging a little bit in the middle, although maybe that's time that could have been spent elsewhere, which we'll hopefully touch on as we go on. But I really liked it. I really liked digging into these characters that have had very, very little screen time when you really think about it and expanding on the world, giving us a bit of a taste of different consequences of things that happened in films, all that stuff. So it's delivered way more than I thought it was going to, and I really enjoyed it. And I really want to see these characters again as well, which mm-hmm. we will, it seems. Well, of course we will. They're tied in with their firstborn grandchild at this yeah, point, aren't they? a bunch of these people, yeah, exactly, have signed for way too many things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so shall we just go straight into spoilers then, since we gave a brief summary of... Not spoiling. Yeah, let's do it. His name is Red Wing. He's cute, but better. Okay, so we'll start with characters and then we'll bring in everything as we go. I want to start with Sam. I would say he's more of the main character than Bucky is. It is more of the Falcon story rather than the Winter Soldier story. So it's an appropriate place to start. What did you think of that build up towards him accepting the mantle of being Captain America and bringing in his history and bringing in his anxiety about taking on that role, his lack of feeling worthy of taking on that role, all that stuff. What did you think of that build-up over the six episodes? I would say, well, those two laggy episodes kind of detracted from this journey. And I think especially the first couple and definitely the last couple is where Sam Storick really solidifies. And then there's just a bunch of stuff in the middle, which we'll talk about later, which I'm a little more lukewarm about. Sam's definitely one of my favorite MCU characters because he's not super powered, because he's just a good dude with a very strong sense of justice. It's why Steve really likes him. It's why he gives him the shield. I thought it was very interesting at the beginning, and we don't necessarily go really deep into why he gives the shield away at the beginning. And at first I was like, okay, there is that sense of who am I to take up this shield and be Captain America without necessarily delving into the whys of can a black man be Captain America in a country that still struggles with race issues, with injustice, with inequality in the real world that the MCU mirrors to a very large extent, obviously, not 100%. A very, very interesting journey of A, self-acceptance, but B, kind of redefining what Captain America means. Because Steve, too, I don't think at the beginning of him being Captain America knew what that was or what that was to him. And he infused 
the role, the mantle, with his own sense of morals and beliefs. Steve was the America that all of us kind of wish America was, but isn't, and kind of never has been. And Sam couldn't be exactly that Captain America, and I think that's why at the beginning he's very scared to even remotely entertain the prospect, and so he gives the shield away. He's like, it better belong in a museum. I'll continue to be the Falcon. It's fine. And then to see him kind of redefine what does America mean to him and how can he best protect those values that Steve was all about and how can he evolve that and take it forward because of his own unique perspective as a black guy. Gosh, I mean, the last couple of episodes really hit hard at that in a way that I kind of didn't expect from a Marvel show, if that makes sense. They really went for it. And I appreciate that because, I don't know, I was just kind of expecting them to skirt around the surface of the issue and not delve into the systemic inequality that is just part and parcel with just being Black in America. And Sam's story, with a hint of awkwardness from the sister storyline and the boat and everything, I'm not 100% sure that all of that works to start with. It builds up into something and it becomes okay by the end. But I did think that it was just a little shoehorned, if that makes sense. But yeah, I really appreciated what they did with him. I kind of can't wait to see him kick ass in the next Marvel thing he's in. Yeah, I just can't wait to see his Captain America in action properly. I love Sam a lot. He's great. Yeah, I think the show did a really good job of not shying away from those big questions and those difficult questions and even admitting that there are no easy answers for them. It does start off as a major piece of imposter syndrome on Sam's part. Steve gave me this shield. I am not worthy of it. I can't be Captain America. I'm just going to stick it in a museum and carry on flying around and rescuing people from helicopters. That's what I do. It's fine. I can live with that. And then as time goes on, he gets forced into the situation where well, you either take the mantle or someone else will be given it who definitely doesn't deserve it. And I think throughout the show, they did a really good job of showing that Sam just casually demonstrates Steve's values. Just in every conversation he has, he always says the right things. And it's always this kind of things that Steve would say. And I do agree with you in terms of the symbolism side of it. Steve represents what America would like to be, or assumes that it is, I guess, in a lot of cases, but isn't. And it was Steve that gave the shield and the costume meaning rather than what the name represented, which is kind of what Sam had to realise. He had to realise, as you say, defining the role for himself, which is interesting. And that build-up worked for me. I can see what you mean by the two episodes that lagged, but I think even the laggy bits it did demonstrate these values that he holds. He was trying to give Sharon hope by saying, I'll clear your name. Or he was saying to Zemo, blood isn't always the answer, I think was the quote. It was something like that. He was basically saying, don't be violent. It's not necessary in all cases. Yeah. It was just really interesting to just see him casually demonstrating that core belief that Captain America should stand for, according to Steve Rogers, because it is about honouring Steve. And then him taking the mantle on at the end is more about honouring Steve than it is about being that symbol as well. I think the spectre of Steve hangs over the show for both of the lead characters. 
which is really weird because he's probably not dead, but they act like he is. <laughs> maybe he is. I don't know. Maybe he died in the last six months that we don't find out. Or maybe he is on the moon. Yeah, they were certainly talking about him as if he were dead. I really don't know. There hasn't been a concrete answer one way or the other. And how long is this after they're back from the time travel thing in Endgame? It says six months, I think, that they've been back six months. He's probably still alive, question mark. Probably. Yeah, he didn't look like he was about to pop his claws no, oh in gosh. that one scene in Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he is on the moon. Or maybe he's just sitting there watching. I did expect a Chris Evans cameo in this, but we didn't get mm. it. I suspect that there is some plan to return him to something at some point, even if it is just for a cameo. Perhaps. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a flashback somewhere down the line. Although I can't see why they would do that when the next phase of the MCU really should be about moving forward to a different storyline and different characters and different everything else, I'd kind of be loath to just return to, oh, hey, remember this guy who, like, we killed off? Let's bring him back. It just kind of dilutes the meaning of them being gone. Yeah, it does seem to be about legacy. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, a lot of this show is about legacy. It's about inheriting a legacy or it's about living up to a legacy or living up to a perceived legacy, I think. And I think Sam's early mistake was trying to be the next Steve when to use a cliche, has to be the first him. Mm. But yeah, it's a Captain America for a new age. It's a Captain America that represents a different side of the American experience, which is interesting. Yeah. And especially his speech in the last episode. I love that speech. And good God. one striking thing mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, so good. One striking thing about it is Steve never did anything like that. He would give speeches to the Avengers. They would always listen to him, but he never stood up in front of the world and made a declaration in that way. So Sam has won over on him in that respect. Hmm. I mean, the films weren't trying to do that. Steve wasn't trying to be a mouthpiece for the way the world should be. I think he was trying to let his actions speak for themselves, which did they work? I guess so, somewhat. But Sam is very much about addressing the issues inherent with this post-blip world that is a mess and... It's all about returning to status quo, which we're facing now in the real world, aren't yep. we? We're facing this. Mm-hmm. We could be better than we used to be, but we're not going to be. Yeah, there's a very interesting parallel to the stuff that Sam is talking about in that speech in the finale that can directly link to our situation right now, present day, outside the MCU. All about who makes the decisions and who sits at the table. And when you say, I'm going to help these people... Who are you making these decisions with? Is it more people like you? And when you have all these resources and you decide not to give them because it doesn't suit you or it doesn't make you enough money, what does that mean for, obviously, mankind in general in a vague sense, but also just for you individually as people? What does that say? And we see that now with the hogging of vaccines, with just (laughs) we're trying to bring the world back to something, but at the same time, ignoring the effects of the lasting and massive change we've just gone through. And I never thought that the blip would be reflected in our present day situation, that we'd be able to relate to that in some way. But yeah, Sam's speech really hit a few nerves there, actually, not just on the COVID stuff, but also, you know, on equality and 
other things. So gosh, yeah, I really, really did not expect them to go there. So many interesting ideas talking about the, you've experienced what it's like to be afraid. You understand how people feel and what are you going to do with that understanding? Are you just going to ignore it? Are you going to build something better and use that knowledge to empathize with people? Whereas the people making the decisions, they don't understand how tough it is for people in our own world. They don't understand what people have gone through, what people have lost. They just sit there in their quote unquote ivory towers and don't care. They make decisions that benefit them and then the people that support their interests, but not the people really suffering. And that is what Sam's getting at. And obviously it was filmed probably not during COVID. I don't know. Some of it was. That's why it was delayed because they hadn't finished it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's prescient because these issues aren't new. They've been around forever. It's always been there. It's not that they just came up with it and it happened to be relevant because it's always relevant. It's extra relevant now. It's just extra relevant now. Yeah, absolutely with you on that. It was great. Just a great speech. And then it was the whole, well, what do you think we should do? It's like, well, I don't know. But the whole point is we get to figure it out. Yeah. We get to work together and we figure it out. I like that Sam didn't presume he knew the answer. And it's just, no, no, that's not the point. The answer isn't easy. We have to think about it. We have to work together. We have to deal with it. And during the blip world, you don't ever see it really, but I quite like the way it adds texture to the MCU. It's like during this five-year period, borders broke down. People just helped each other. People just let each other in. Communities were built. Support existed. And then all the people that make decisions come back and it just goes right back to normal. And yeah, of course that would radicalize people because you're used to living in a world that's better in a lot of ways, discounting the significant loss, of course. But it's better in the sense that people are forgetting about any kind of petty squabbles. Again, like in Pacific Rim, yes, the world comes together because there's giant monsters to fight. Whereas in here, the world comes together because everybody's lost a lot of people. And that's more important to worry about than any of the political stuff or whatever was keeping people apart before. So it's just interesting that something positive grew out of such a horrible event. And then once that ends, it's just... Yeah, let's just go back to the way it was because that suits us. That's it. I've ranted about this outside of film podcasts because it's never been relevant on a film podcast. But just the idea of we've just all been through a monumental traumatic event in the form of this pandemic. And a lot of the rhetoric around let's return to normal, let's go back to the way things were. While this last year has really shown us the cracks in a lot of the systems that we use to live our lives. And so it's a brilliant opportunity to fix those cracks, to rebuild if we must, all of the stuff that is very clearly broken and long-term do not work. And the insistence on going back to the way things were because it's the familiar and it's what we know how to deal with is short-sighted and it makes me sad and very, very angry. <laughs> there hasn't been a better opportunity, a clearer picture. We've never had this chance to have that kind of clear picture. On social issues, we need to fix support systems we need to put in place. And to see that reflected, obviously, in a different context, because having billions of people disappear and then reappear is a slightly different situation, I would say. Yes. <laughs> but to see that kind of same debate 
of let's just bring things back to normal. And then people like Carly Morgenthau and her band of super powered terrorists. Do we call them terrorists? Sam would smack me. Yeah, let's not worry about the labels. Very spirited individuals, how about that, who would say, we can't go back to normal. We've seen how things could be, and we need to go towards that rather than go backwards. So yeah, and it's very interesting to see Sam kind of torn, not just because of his Captain America stuff, but to understand where the quote-unquote villain is coming from and to see her point and be like, yeah, actually, you got a point. (laughs) I don't disagree with you. I quite like that the conflict is kind of not rooted in a just permanent divide. There actually is a bridge. There is a bit of an understanding there. I think the problem with Carly is they were too frightened to commit to her being sympathetic or too sympathetic. Mm. So... There would be a point where, oh, yeah, I see where you're coming from here. I see why you feel this way. And then she would do something insane. She would do something unspeakably violent. She would cross a line because, oh, yeah, she's a villain. And we have to find that she's a villain. So she has to be extreme. And that dilutes her cause in a lot of ways. We have to see her as the villain, even though the show is telling you, no, she has a point. She's standing up for something that means something. And then Sam understands that and he says i agree with what you have to say i just don't agree with what you're doing and that's the difference the difference is how she goes about trying to achieve her goals because nothing she does actually accomplishes anything really blowing up buildings killing people hurting people doesn't accomplish anything all it does is it dilutes her message among the people that would need to hear it but even at that the show establishes In the very last episode, these people are everywhere. There's this app. Look at all these people that come to her aid. She always has a place to sleep no matter what country she's in because people support her. A lot of people across the world agree with what she stands for and what they're doing, or at least what they're trying to do, even if they're turned a bit of a blind spot to what they're actually doing. I think they could have done a lot more work on Carly to get her to be more sympathetic but I don't know what that would have looked like because then you can't get action sequences where they fight superpowered people. Yeah. There's something to be said about the idea of you have a point, but the way in which you're going about it is wrong. I don't like it. It's like saying to Black Lives Matter protesters that what they're doing is too much in the face of unspeakable, ongoing, unending inequality, murderous inequality. You're telling them that they're too mad, they're too violent, they're too loud. This isn't how you change things. This isn't how you fix it. That conversation doesn't in itself fix the problem. If we're sitting here arguing about methods, we're still not addressing anything. And I think the show kind of tries to get into this, but doesn't really. Like I've said earlier, it surprised me how deep they did go into some of the social stuff, but they don't necessarily address any of this head on exactly because this isn't that kind of show. This isn't that kind of cinematic universe even. I don't mind how Carly is dealt with. I don't mind that dichotomy. I found it interesting that she does go too far and that keeps us from 
fully engaging with her. I don't see how else you really could do that. A, for the action sequences, like you said, we wouldn't really have that kind of physical conflict if not. But also because otherwise it's a different story. It's a different debate. It's a different conflict resolution method. And I don't see superheroes do that sort of thing. They're more intent to punch their way out of situations. It's just how it is. Yeah, I think they had a little bit of a way of doing it as in sometimes Carly's followers would look at her and go, I'm not sure about this, but they would never say anything. They would never directly oppose her. I think if they'd expanded the Flag Smashers as an organisation and had different opinions within the organisation, they would have given you a bit more depth there. There would have been more discussions about, is what we're actually doing accomplishing anything or should we change it up? Should we be trying something else? Because villains of a point are interesting villains, but how is it you make them villains while also making them still have that point? And I think a little bit more protesting from her lieutenants or whatever they were would have went some way towards fixing that problem. Maybe. I did think that they were a little expendable and largely negligible. There's, I think, the one Australian guy who kind of has more of a a presence... And I actually saw the actor post a thread on Twitter about how Captain America was his favorite superhero and he couldn't believe as a Australian Asian man he got to be in a Captain America show. And that was really cool. He seems pretty neat as a person. But yeah, like, so his character was the only one that kind of had something to say, perhaps because he was the only one who kind of went against Carly at some point. And everyone else was just there. They were there. You could absolutely fix that up a little bit by just infusing them with a bit more something, a bit more personality, a bit more motivation and agency. I don't really think they had much of that. And then there was the other guy that was only given lines so that he could be killed later on. Yeah, there was a little bit of that going on in this show. (laughs) (laughs) Not just with that particular character, but... Yeah, don't know how I feel about it. It's very common in superhero TV oh, shows. Yeah. Where you can usually figure out who's not going to survive the episode by how much screen time they're getting. If they've not had a lot of screen time before. Mm. It's just the sad truth of it. It's just the way it is. But that whole concept of Captain America was my hero and all that stuff. And I think he was talking about during World War Two and all that stuff because of where they were, the influence that I guess Captain America would have had during that World War II period for that yeah. location, things like that. But but yeah, there's no weight to the organisation. It's in a similar way to Killmonger and Black Panther. Yes, I was thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything yeah, you're like saying you is absolutely true. absolutely have a but, point, man, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're also nuts, so that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Marvel's villain problem, isn't it? It doesn't seem to be going away. I mean, I don't necessarily agree. I thought... Killmonger is probably the best villain they've had because he had a point. I think Carly was in a similar vein, but less, just just less. <laughs> yeah, just much less. Even the point she was making was not as coherent, I think. And that's probably the root of all of it. It's difficult to quantify the sort of things that she's talking about without just descending into vagueness. I can't tell you how else you could do that, especially with basically only six episodes. If you really want to delve into it, something that I would have loved to see in the show is just a bit more of the lives of these people 
who came back and what does that mean? Because yes, we see that a little bit in the superhero side of things, but just from a very real life perspective, A, what does it mean to lose your family, your loved ones, your colleagues, half the people you know, and go on for five years and then get them back? And B, what's it like to be gone for a second and then everything has imploded around you and you're like just left swimming in the deep dark void of there's no resources and no support networks maybe your home is gone maybe your family's gone maybe people have moved on with their lives those are super interesting concepts and for a show that kind of aims to deal with the effects of these concepts directly, we kind of don't get enough of either side. And I guess you wouldn't really be able to insert those protagonists in those stories because they are the larger-than-life superheroes. Their entire point of their existence is to be there and be larger than life and save the day and do the grand things that most of us wouldn't ever do. So I understand <laughs> from a writer's perspective of, well, I can't fit this. How do I fit the story of a father who comes back from the blip and his kids are older, his wife has married someone else, that sort of thing. You wouldn't really have the room to tell that kind of story. Those are the things that I was thinking about as I was watching the show. I was like, ah, I just really wish Carly's talking about all these people who are displaced and stuff, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> Where are they displaced? What's going on? Yeah, as we're watching this. And part of that is, obviously, you know, the production had to shift. They filmed this mid-COVID in Prague and in Georgia, I think, or wherever. So they had to adhere to pandemic filming protocols. At least for some of it. Yeah, and you can tell there are some scenes where people are spaced out, socially distanced, and that sort of thing. And I kind of appreciate that a lot of the kind of limitations that are imposed by that sort of thing, you can't exactly just go, yeah, I'll just hire however many actors it takes. If there's very specific limitations in place and stuff that you can't bypass because there's a pandemic that's happening, I think they did okay with what they had at the time. In fact, how anything got made last year and this year, how anybody's filming anything right now, I'm kind of in awe, in all honesty. But I can see how that might have contributed to just that lack of nuance and depth in something. You have a TV show, so you have a little bit of extra time to go into some stuff, but still kind of not enough. So I tried to see it from their perspective and not be too entitled as a fan and viewer. But you could have done a little more, man, just a little more. <laughs> See, I didn't have any major issues with the execution of things. There are things that niggle at me that I find are not as good as they could be and things like that. And when I'm reviewing something like this, I don't think about any restrictions they might have had on filming because if you're watching this in five years, no one's going to be thinking about that at that yeah. point. They won't even remember that there was limitations. Think of back to the writer's strike. If you go and binge watch a TV show that was made during the writer's strike and you suddenly find that season three has far less episodes and just ends, you're going to be wondering why that is or you'll wonder why it's so jarring to watch, but you won't be aware of the external factors necessarily. So I just try and review what's in front of me. But to plug my own thing, I interviewed a director who worked on Black Lightning recently 
he was talking about working within the COVID limitations and she had some really interesting things to say about how they managed to get back to work and how they managed to make it safe and they and they managed to make use of the time in a way that doesn't reveal those limitations, at least as far as she saw it. So listen to it if you... Yeah, haven't. that sounds very, very interesting. Yeah, it was. So there's a bit of a always be plugging always moment. Always be plugging. That was that. <laughs> yeah, really illuminating to hear about how that works. And I reckon it would be a good barometer of how most of the industry will be doing it. Certainly at that level, because they will have to be very, very careful to adhere to limitations and restrictions and safety guidelines and things like that. So as you say, there was some social distancing that was obvious in some scenes. And there was some chat about the fact that a pandemic subplot might have been axed at sort of the last minute. Because there's that whole stealing vaccines thing. Mm, Oh, of course. In the second episode. And they kind of gloss over it. But there's a hint that there might have been a tuberculosis or something outbreak in the country somewhere. Mm -hmm. And they were giving vaccines and the hoarding of vaccines had happened since the blip, since everybody came back because suddenly regulatory organisations came in and thought, no, no, this is ours. We're keeping this for our own people or whatever. But it's not in there that show doesn't delve into it. And so I wonder if they thought, oh, this is a bit too on the nose. We should cut this. <laughs> hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah. I didn't read into it in that sense, but I can see that now that you mention it. I'll put the link to the Nando V movies analysis of why he thinks it was cut hmm. in the show notes. Cause he articulates it much better than I can. And I can't really remember what he said, but he made some compelling points. So flag smashers problematic, but they have a point sort of. They're violent, they're blowing up buildings and that can't be tolerated because they're hurting innocent people. So that's your high-level villain problem. You have to stop them hurting innocent people, regardless of what they stand for. You can get behind that and then that enables Sam to put his wings on and fly around and punch people. Which is why some people are watching the show, I suppose. Let's move on to Bucky for a while. I really liked what they did with Bucky here. And the interesting thing, when you think back about Bucky in the films, compared to Sam, Sam doesn't have a lot in the films either, but Bucky has even less. Because he's hardly in the first Avenger, really. And then in Winter Soldier, he spends pretty much the entirety of it brainwashed, so he doesn't have a character there as such. Civil War, he has very little to do. He has a couple of scenes. And in Infinity War, he's just there to pick up Rocket and spin him around while they're shooting at things. So taking that time to really expand on who Bucky is and where he's at at this point in his life is really interesting. I really like the whole idea of him being out of time, as in he doesn't know how to live in this modern world. He feels so separate from it. He's trying to make up for the things that he's done. He's haunted by his exploits as a winter soldier. He has no confidence in his own self-worth he's worried about whether steve was right about him and that's how he ties his own self-worth to that and he has to find a way to live in the world which is all really interesting stuff and he is definitely a secondary character they don't focus on him as much as they could have maybe it needs 12 episodes and six of them are mostly about bucky i don't know but i like what they did with him and i think sebastian stan did a really good job portraying that as well i don't think anybody's really complimented him and his acting in these films as such. But I think he did a really good job here. He absolutely smashed it. 
there were a couple of moments that without even dialogue, he gave so much through just his eyes and his face, no speech whatsoever. And I was like, oh my God, he's good. 100% with you on he hasn't really had the chance to be Bucky <laughs> because he was the Winter Soldier and everything that meant the brainwashing and stuff. We didn't really see him. And this was just so interesting seeing Bucky, but with superpowers. But he was absolutely the same guy from the first Avenger with a sense of humor and just being a supportive dude, albeit terribly traumatized and occasionally murderous but yeah I, I was just yeah really really happy to just have bucky back yeah it was great yeah and the non-vocal performance part you were talking about it really stood out to me when he had to pretend to be the winter soldier mm -hmm. to get them through the door in, in madripoor and it was the reaction he did when he snapped out of it was that oh i don't like being this i really hate being this and then it's punctuated by sam going you okay or you good i think it is he says something like that yeah and it's that, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But you can tell he's not fine. And it's that constant struggle he has to put that behind him. And the fact that he's always reminded of it, he always has the metal arm. That's always a reminder of it. But yeah, the personality he has, the sense of humor, his dynamic with Sam. I like that they didn't lean too far into the buddy cop side of it because I think that would have got tedious if they'd done too much of it. There was enough of it. There was enough of the bickering. But there was also a very supportive, very professional connection that they had which makes sense because they're involved in some really insane stuff. So it wouldn't make sense for them to be quipping every 20 seconds. Yes, I don't really miss Tony Stark for that. I have to say as much as <laughs> he infused the entire cinematic universe with his sense of humor and quips are the way forward. I kind of got tired of that dynamic very quickly. So to just have something a little more earnest was great. A lot of the interactions, especially between Bucky and Sam, were filled with that earnestness and the genuine, what's the word I'm looking for? Camaraderie? Yeah, it all just came from a genuine place for these characters. Without the bravado of, I also have to say something funny at this juncture. I appreciate that the humor was more natural. Because it is funny, and Sam and Bucky are both funny people in their own ways, in different ways, which is also kind of charming. So yeah, did not miss the <laughs> the quips, I have to say, personally. I mean, they were there, and neither of them were too macho to no. yeah. avoid talking about their feelings as well, which is something that I actually expected. I expected them to be, we can't talk about this, we're men. And you get that in the first episode, they interact, the steroid contest, for example which is a very dominance-asserting move. And that was funny, but they quickly move away from that when they realise they have a job to do and they need to work together. In fact, they bury that in that scene where it's, okay, we'll do this thing and then we'll never see each other again. Cool, cool, and then they just move on. And that's them on the same page after that point. I mean, these guys are military trained, right? They're not going to be that petty to each other all the time. And sometimes it's easy to forget that because the superheroing stuff is, yeah, we're flying around and we're making jokes and we're blowing stuff up and it's all very comic booky but they did a really good job of leaning into their backgrounds with Sam's counselling background in particular and the fact that they are both military men and they have that discipline mm -hmm. and they were able to apply that discipline to the fact that they were working together even though they were reluctant to do so for a while. Yeah, absolutely. There's a kind of 
triptych of different perspectives on the American military in this. And a big criticism that I saw leveled at the show, rightly, I think, not without justification, is, is the show excusing American military politics and the invasiveness of the American military and the kind of propaganda that we see a lot about it from media and from films just being like, well, you know, they're right to do so because we are heroic and we come from the land of the free and we have all these ideals that we want to impart on the world and we're going to do it whether you want it or not, especially at the beginning and a little bit through the Johnny Johnny Walker, <laughs> the John Walker stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. But it does kind of ask the question, of: is there one kind of American military presence that's okay? Is it Sam's version? Is it Bucky's version? Is it John's version? And it's asking this question. I don't know that it ever properly answers it. I don't know that it ever properly will. There's a sketchy history with Marvel and military propaganda and actually being sponsored by the American military to make them look good. And all of that lovely stuff, which is just a monster to try to unpack. And I don't think that you and I sitting here on our little podcast are going to answer this larger question. But I feel like the show kind of tries to push past this inevitable question. Doesn't 100% manage to do it. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't know. I feel very conflicted about it. What do you think? I think in a lot of ways it leaves the audience to make up their own mind about what they think about the military. You get different perspectives on it. When you see John at the, the football ground, is it his old college football stadium that he makes his debut? Something like that? Hmm. Wherever it is, anyway. But it's that big song and dance. It's that patriotic Captain America's back. It's the symbol of the military, all that stuff. So you're supposed to look at that as if to say, this is ridiculous because it is just so ostentatious. But then you have Sam's reasons for being in the Air Force. You have Bucky's reasons for being in World War Two. although he was drafted, yeah. which is something that the films never really addressed, mm-hmm. but he was. He would have been drafted because of how old he was and how fit he was and where he was. So there's that. But he has some kind of connection to that thing he pledged to, I guess. Even in the last episode, he's referred to as Sergeant Barnes, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> after all this time, he's still Sergeant Barnes. And he's still, still recognised as Sergeant, Sergeant after Barnes. After all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Your rank never leaves you. <laughs> Just don't go after them for all that back pay that they probably owe you for technically how long you've been in service. I don't know. I suppose all the time that he spent working against that system <laughs> might preclude him from having any back pay. I don't know. <laughs> so there's that. And Rhodey's one appearance as well. Rhodey clearly has his own reasons for believing in why he is a part of that. So there's different perspectives. Isaiah Bradley, for example, he was in the military and they betrayed him or he felt betrayed by them. And they certainly did betray him because of what they did to him. A lot of that stuff is actually based on some very real stuff that happened to black soldiers during World War II. Yes. So felt betrayed, was betrayed, was abused, all of that. Yeah, a a different side of the military that none of the others have experienced. Yeah, so I think it's all out there, or at least a lot of it's out there for you to 
assess and make up your own mind on because everyone has an opinion on what the military is and the military does and what they stand for. And I think there's a big thing at the moment about how predatory they are in terms of trying to encourage young people to enlist and they'll pay for education and things like that. So that's a bit of a predatory instinct in a way. But the show doesn't cover that because it's not that they're trying to recruit Peter Parker, who's a teenager, (laughs) and say that they'll pay for his his college education or whatever. But Mm -hmm. there's a number of perspectives on it. And I think it's fine to say we're not going to arrive at a position on this. We're going to leave it up to you to figure out what your position on it is. Because it is complicated and everybody has their own reasons for doing things and being part of things. So it's good to let things be complicated, I think. Yeah, and it's interesting just how complicated it is for a show that's set in the largest entertainment franchise one would argue very escapist in nature, all of Marvel stuff, but actually it gets quite complex. It's why I've enjoyed a lot of the Marvel stuff through the years is because we get to kind of sink our teeth into questions like this, but through emotionally compelling storytelling, which, yeah, I'm also very here for. And I think it'd be just so easy for it to say, the military are all evil and you shouldn't be a part of it, but I don't think that's quite the case. I don't think every soldier is going to be a cutthroat psychopath bent on killing people. There's no only a handful. There. There's just like there's variation <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Only a handful. Only, only yeah. a handful of them. <laughs> Hashtag not all soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like with everything, you have your good and bad sides of everything. And I think the show does a really good job of acknowledging that those sides exist yeah which is good and i think good natural points come on to john as well because he's a big part of that Mm. so it's clear enough that his reasons for getting into it at the very least were somewhat noble yeah as in enough is done to establish that he is a decent person Mm -hmm. and he wants to do the right thing and he's ignorant to the fact that he is a symbol for the wrong thing and he was chosen for the wrong reasons and what he stands for isn't what he's actually being made to stand for. So he's ignorant of that. He's part of this whole privilege system. He's a government stooge and he doesn't really realise it. He's unaware of the fact that he's benefiting from his own white privilege in a lot of ways. Oh, 100%. That streak of arrogance creeps in periodically. That entitlement creeps in when he's interrogating someone. I say interrogating. Torturing might be a closer word. When he's pumping someone for information, he says, do you know who I am? As if the fact that someone has decided that he's Captain America commands that level of respect, but he hasn't earned it. And all that stuff where he says, Steve Rogers was like a brother to me. You never met him. Calm down. Gosh, when he... You don't get oh to say that. Oh my God, I took offense. I was like, you take Steve <laughs> out of your mouth, mister. <laughs> like a brother. How dare you? Yeah, I think there's a very interesting parallel for John with some of the stuff in Winter Soldier. When we first meet Sam, Steve and him go to the VA and there's... albeit brief but interesting conversation about veterans who don't have access to support and they're just kind of left to scramble and they find some support in each other but ultimately the system lets them down they give and they give so much of themselves to their country americans they deify 
the military. They worship them. They're their heroes. But then when they come back from ostensibly super traumatic events, they've been through some stuff, they've lost their health, a part of themselves, mentally or physically, and they're just left to deal with it however they can, no support whatsoever. And it's interesting to see that on a decorated person. Like, here's medals, and good job, you killed so many people. <laughs> a star. Yeah. Here's a couple medals and the Captain America shield and go forth. But the minute that it makes them look bad, he's persona non grata. He's just cast aside. His outburst in the grand jury room or wherever that was is very telling. I did everything you told me to do. You made me this way. And God, that's a big statement to make, actually, about America and their obsession with the military and sending these young men out to do whoever's bidding. And then they come back and then what? You made them this way. It's you. So kind of how dare you? And as much as I don't, I really don't like John Walker, I have to say, I found him very grating. But I respect the character arc, and I think we needed that boisterous, arrogant, entitled, I am Captain America, and if they made me the symbol, then they like me how I am and how I do things. He picks up a gun first thing, and I was just like, oh god, I don't like that. There's <laughs> something about seeing Captain America just shooting people that just really didn't sit well with me. Even though, I mean, Steve's used a gun before, but... It's not really his M.O. It's not really what he does. And so, yeah, it just was very strange to me. The thing is, they don't fully lean into the fact that John is a bad guy. They make him more complicated than that. He has clear values, but he also does some dumb things because he's a person and he's confused. And there's things that he wants that he can't get. And that colors his perception of the way things play out. It's that bit where he says to Lamar, we followed orders and we did some things we're not proud of, or along those lines. I can't remember what the exact dialogue was, but he points out, did you agree with everything we did over there? Because I don't. Hmm. And that's what we're told to do. He actually ends up being an interesting mirror for Isaiah in some ways because he gets cast aside when he's not convenient. They abandon him. They say, you're getting no benefits from us. We're disavowing any knowledge that you ever existed practically because you did something that tarnished our image and we can't be having that. And it's Contessa, I think it, her name is, that says to him, they're not upset that you killed someone, they're upset that you got seen doing it. And that's the difference. It's that image thing. You are an image and you tarnish that image and that's a problem and that's why they've gotten rid of you in this way. So it's that betrayal. And even in the last episode, he is predisposed to being heroic. Instead of going after Carly, he chooses to save the armoured car. He works with Bucky, etc. So I really like how a lot of people probably just expected him to just be an antagonist or become an antagonist and stay that. But they just kept playing around with that and giving him different things to do. And I really appreciated that. I think there's a really nuanced character there. And he definitely ties into that whole cynicism around the military and the corruption of symbolism as well. That The idea that he tarnished the image of Captain America by getting blood on the shield. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the way he was acting was not in keeping with the standards of Captain America, but at his core, he had at least some of those values. And 
really wanted to be the best example that he could be, but he just wasn't capable of doing it. And it probably wasn't fair for anybody to expect him to do it either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so interesting character. But then he gets a black suit and he's going to be US agent, so I don't know if we'll continue to be interesting after this. I don't know very much about US agent personally. My partner does, and they've told me a little bit, but I'm kind of deliberately keeping myself out of that world because I want to see what they do because they've already changed a lot of stuff by what i'm told anyway i think they've kept the essence of u.s agent this boisterous kind of entitledness to him is comic book accurate but that's kind of where i choose to leave it with regards to my knowledge of the thing it'll be interesting to see how he fits in the larger mcu going down the line or if they'll just keep him within this world and like we'll just see another season of this show and that'll be that but i'd like to see him interact with other heroes perhaps people with serious powers and magic and that sort of thing i think that'd be very interesting the suggestion is they're doing a film next which might pick up so many of those threads so he might be in it there's rumors that they might be developing the thunderbolts which is essentially a morally questionable Avengers team that has people like John Walker on it and Zemo on it and things like that. So they might be doing that. There's a few directions they could take it, but I think they they did what they usually do. They just set up something that we can pick up later on. We don't really know where we're going with it, but it's on the table somewhere. It's fine. It can be picked up and deployed at some point, just like they did with Zemo here, really. Mm -hmm. Zemo was around. (laughs) They didn't know where they were going to use him, and this seemed like the natural place for whatever reason. And... I liked what they did with Zemo here, actually. I didn't like him much in Civil War. I think that it was one of those things where you have to have psychic knowledge of how things will play out in order for your plan to work because it has to follow these exact steps. I'm sure Honest Trailers, for example, did a list of, here's all the steps of his plan. And if just one of those was a slightly different decision, the whole thing would fall Mm. apart. Whereas here he was much more deliberate. Making him a rich baron I thought was quite funny. The quirkiness to his character the much talked about dance routine that he did which people liked for whatever reason people like to see Zemo dancing for some reason (laughs) oh I was into that I do think that Zemo is a rich baron in the comics right so they just yes yeah brought his character kind of more in line with that clearly wasn't the intent in Civil War though that clearly wasn't his backstory there well I mean clearly I don't know that it mattered. Yes, it's a little annoying that it's more of a retcon than a reveal or like a backstory thing. But at the same time, none of these details necessarily mattered to what he was doing in Civil War. And also, he just seemed to have a lot of money lying around, didn't he, in Civil War? You know, he was just kind of going all over the place, no concern over expenses or anything like that. So it was just okay, there's definitely something going on here about resources, but I guess we're not going to get into it because there's just too much else happening in this movie. (laughs) I I was into the dancing Zemo, I have to say. It was like, oh, okay, fine. (laughs) This is where we're at. Just Daniel Brühl dancing. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that really surprised me about him was kept expecting that moment of betrayal at the point where their objectives no longer align, he would betray them and then become a villain. And it didn't happen. That really shocked me. I kept expecting it to happen, especially because the trailer pointed Mm. in that direction as well. Oh, he's putting on his mask. It's the comic book mask. That means he means business. Mm -hmm. And then in the actual show, he only wears it so he can sneak up on someone and then immediately takes it off. 
So why did he wear it in the first Just place? Just so they can understand. get a, a stunt person to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Slash, I guess, to have him wear the mask once in this show. I appreciate that he didn't double-cross them. That would have been one plot twist too many. There's already kind of a winding plot in this show, and a handful of subplots kind of vying for our attention. So to have Zemo also be like, I am villain, I will betray you. I think having them be on the same page was kind of more interesting than the alternative. They were on the same page, but they also weren't on the same page. His intent was to kill all the super soldiers. And as soon as he gets a hold of Carly and sees the vials of the serum, he stands on them and ends that threat. So he gets what he wants. But his views are also more extreme than Sam and Bucky's are. He talks about killing. And like I said earlier, Sam has that perspective of, it's not always the best way forward. That's not the best way to do it. We need to figure out some other way. And even when he expects Bucky to kill him, or when he says, you have to kill Carly, and Bucky says, we'll find our own way. So there was always that tension in that relationship and they could never completely trust him because he was always going to go after his own objective which tacitly aligns with theirs but not quite yeah and that tension kept things going i think i really like how there was that we don't know how to take this guy but he's useful for the moment sort of thing plus he's the money he's how we get places he's that plot device isn't he with his butler who kills flag smashers oh yeah <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I think the trailer kind of implied that he was going to be the Flag Smasher's leader or shadowy benefactor or something like that. And he had nothing to do with them whatsoever. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, that was misleading, Marvel. How very dare. <laughs> they certainly made it look a certain way. Yeah. And then bringing Wakanda in through Zemo was a really nice touch mm. as well how they wanted revenge against them. And just having Io and the other members of Dora Milaje turn up, great. Gives us a really good cross-section of the universe that way. Wakanda are here. Things are really important. Having the Dora Milaje come in and lay claim to Zemo was interesting, but also a little shoehorned, a little like... Okay, so now you do this? He's been in a prison that wasn't even secure at all, and you were fine with that. <laughs> but he's out here being useful. And yeah, he's out here, granted, but he's being useful. I don't know, man. But it was cool to see them again, and it was interesting to explore their connection with Bucky and everything that they've contributed to him reclaiming himself and the arm and everything else. There was uh, interesting Twitter conversations about Bucky's arm and the failsafe button that they had that I guess he didn't know was there and whether or not that means they didn't trust him to start with. They gave him the arm, but we're like, well, we're just going to put this here too because we don't know what you're going to do with this arm. <laughs> we might as well just make sure we can take it away if needed. And the initial point was made by Stephen Ford on Twitter, and he was like, man, it's just so sad. They still didn't trust him. And there was a lot of chatter, predominantly from Black people, who were like, well, yeah, he's still a bad dude. Yeah, of course, the Wakandans will put some failsafe in there to ensure that their technology doesn't get used for like, murdering people. 
And it was just like, well, I yeah. kind of see both their points. It's both sad and also inevitable. Um, and just something that I hadn't necessarily thought about while watching that scene. It was interesting just to get the perspective of African Americans in particular, seeing the Wakandans actions in a different perspective. It was just interesting. Just don't tell Rocket about that magic. Oh my god, right? <laughs> He's just gonna come in, <laughs> pop that button. How much for that arm? <laughs> <laughs> and he'll be away with it before Bucky can do anything. Well, Bucky's pretty fast. He'll probably catch him. I want to see that now. I do want to see that attempt at stealing his arm. <laughs> <laughs> the Wakandans, I think, they have more weight in the context of the show through their connection to Bucky and that flashback that shows the final part of the re- removal of the Winter Soldier programming was a really moving moment. It's that burden being lifted from him and Sebastian Stan's performance in that moment was superb, I think. And it was a necessary flashback. It was just very, very powerful to see. And it gives you a sense that there is a connection there. There is a relationship. Yes. When we all assumed it was Shuri that did it, because she said that she did, I mm-hmm. suppose. But I guess that he could have had multiple sessions with different people mm. around removing this. Yeah, and I see the Dora Milaje being more the right people to do that kind of mental resilience stuff with Bucky rather than Shuri. Shuri's there for the arm, that sort of thing. She's the tech whiz. She makes things. But I kind of can't really see her being also the psychology expert. But the Royal Wakandan guards are badass and I think that they're more equipped to deal with the psychological aspect of battle and trauma and possibly brainwashing and that sort of thing. So I didn't mind that at all as an added detail. I do miss Okoye, though. <laughs> more Okoye, please, next season. <laughs> She'll probably be heavily featured in Black Panther 2, so Should we'll get your fix. certainly hope so. She's my favorite. And seeing them beat up John effortlessly while Bucky taunted him from the sidelines. That was immensely satisfying. Looking strong, John. And then Sam's like, put a stop to this. That's that's enough. (laughs) Everybody just wanted to see John Walker get his ass handed to him. And it was important for John as well because he realised how outmatched he was in this much larger universe that now exists. But yeah, informs a lot, I think. They were used well. I was surprised that they took him to the raft rather than taking him back to Wakanda, but... I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of extradition treaty that we don't know about. No, they did say they were going to take him to the raft. Yeah, which surprised me because it's it's not a Wakandan thing. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a plot-related thing for future. They've thought about this. Kind of like the prison break sequence in Guardians of the Galaxy. Just the perfect storm of the right people being all in the same prison together. Perhaps we'll see some more of that, but on the raft. I don't know. Yeah, what we're going to see across all these Marvel shows is different people being locked up in the raft so that they can all team up later. Yes, perhaps that. (laughs) It's very much could Mm -hmm. happen (laughs) as they set up their villain team or their anti-hero team or whatever they're trying to do. So Sharon Carter, we had the return of Sharon Carter, a character that has almost zero personality in her Uh, two appearances. I would argue sub-zero personality. Sub-zero personality, okay. She just doesn't exist. And then I suppose, you know, because they retconned her in this, her personality is very different to Winter Soldier and Civil War Sharon. I suppose the perfect person 
to do that with because I don't think they knew what to do with her other than... Practically a blank slate. Yeah, there was that whole disagreement that she had with Haley Atwell or rather Haley Atwell kind of bullied her off the set or something. I don't know. You didn't hear it from me. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know oh, anything about Oh, there was that. like a whole thing. I think less so on the set and more Atwell kind of had like a very hostile attitude to Emily Van Camp just becoming the new woman for Captain America. And fandom kind of took things very far as fans are wont to do on the internet. (laughs) But yeah, there was just a lot of nastiness about Emily Van Camp, you know, like go away, you're not wanted or needed, that sort of thing. Just the internet was kind of pushed in that direction and Haley Atwell did not stop them or rather encourage them. It was not great. So kind of in the same way that Wyatt Russell was bullied off social media because people don't understand what acting is. Gosh, oh, I did not know that. That's awful. God. <laughs> yeah, people were sending him death threats and things. It's Jesus. Just, he isn't he's not John really Walker, this guy. y'all. Yeah, wow. Have you heard of acting? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not his fault that you don't like him groundbreaking yeah so i think with sharon while it's on paper interesting to take a character who's associated with peggy and with steve like a very very direct correlation and to have her turn out to be a villain in some capacity On paper, it's interesting. But while I was watching this, I just wasn't convinced. What did you think? Were you convinced? No, not at all. (laughs) But the thing is, I have no reason to doubt that she is that person because the films that she's in don't tell me much about her other than she's quite good at her job. That's all we know. She's good at her job. She knows what she's doing. She's very well trained. And that whole, I'm not even going to call it a romance with Steve, was nothing. It was very odd. Oh yeah, there was no chemistry there. No chemistry whatsoever, yeah. And Civil War itself kind of makes fun of it through the reaction that Bucky and Sam have when they're sitting in the car watching them. It's I guess, yeah, that, that was just as awkward for us as it was for the audience, you know, that kind of thing. It's very strange. Plus, you talk about how people were ganging up on her online because of the whole, no, you can't be with Steve because whatever. Would, would they not be more interested in Steve ending up with Bucky in that case? I personally I would be, but a girl can dream. <laughs> I don't participate in any of that kind of discourse or any discourse really around these things online because I just don't, I don't go on social media because mm. I don't like it. But I do understand that there was a very active community of people desiring Steve and Bucky to end up together. And yeah, fine, whatever. There's these repressed men from the 40s. It's maybe not the done thing that they think about at the time. And yeah, there's a connection there and there's a bond of brotherhood through their military service and all that stuff. But I suppose I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about which Avenger should be romantically linked with what other Avenger or whatever. So, I don't know. But yeah, bullying people and then enabling bullying people because of what you want a romantic connection to be for that character is ridiculous. The Sharon thing didn't work anyway. I never really expected her and Steve to be a thing because the films didn't give me enough to suggest that. But the idea that she would feel betrayed after that, so the events of Civil War had her on the run, nobody looked after her after that point. No one thought about her after that point. Not even Steve, because he went on the run himself afterwards, I suppose. But yeah, throughout all that time, nobody thought about her. Nobody thought to try and clear her name. So she just, like everybody else, I suppose, felt betrayed by the system that she had sworn to protect. 
And that really turned her into this thing. And then she became this this head of a criminal organization. The whole power broker thing, the reveal didn't work for me because given how often the power broker was mentioned, I felt like they had to do more with the whole power broker concept and they didn't really do anything other than clear up who it was. And I also don't understand her motivation for both wanting super soldiers and not wanting super soldiers. What is she doing? Why is she playing both sides? I don't get it. It doesn't really make sense. And the fact that she pretends to be back in the fold at the end because she gets access to military secrets. Mm -hmm. Agent Carter becomes double Agent Carter, (laughs) in effect. That could go somewhere interesting. I don't know. I think Emily Van Camp was really good in this. And I like the idea of her resenting the whole notion of heroes. Mm. She really hates heroes. She thinks it's all fake and she thinks it all means nothing. And I believe that her life experiences have led her to draw that conclusion. Yeah. But they don't give you anything more than that conclusion. She doesn't change her mind on it. She doesn't commit to it. It's just a thing that's there. I think we'll see that journey next time because this was the setup for her being the baddie in the next season or in something else in the future, right? The film or whatever. Yeah, so I think we will see that play out and it's interesting. I mean, yeah, she is very good at portraying that cynical, um, disaffected kind of person. She was in the show called Revenge. Never seen it, but yeah. I was really into it for a time. It was about Emily Van Camp's character basically duplicitously ingratiating herself with a rich family who had done her family dirty and bringing about their doom from the inside. So that kind of double agenty thing, she can play that because she can do a very good poker face. She can do that smile that doesn't reach the eyes, that is just not real. It'll be interesting to see where they take this. But as far as the setup goes, it left something to be desired. Maybe it's because she didn't really have much of a personality to start with, and now suddenly they've given her one, and it's a bit of a jump from what we would expect Sharon Carter, Peggy Carter's niece, Steve's flame briefly to be. Possibly Steve's niece. Oh, I mean, there is time travel involved now. (laughs) Who knows? Oh, that gives me a headache. Time travel paradoxes. (laughs) So yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where they take this. And it may well retroactively, I might be like, yeah, okay. I will admit I've not really watched the movies that she is in, in a little while. And having had that distance and suddenly coming into this, and she's quite different from what I remember as well. Yeah, it jumped out, I would say. But It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad change for the character. I'd be interested to just see more of her. We've not had the time with this character one way or the other. Does this change have roots in something? As you say, her life experiences, it makes sense for her to just be jarred from everything and be like, heroes are stupid. (laughs) Heroes don't exist. And in a large extent, that's the kind of question we haven't really explored in the MCU of what is a superhero, really. Obviously, we've watched them do very grand and larger than life things, battle aliens, that sort of thing. Time travel, my God. (laughs) There's a lot of really high concept stuff because that's all part and parcel with the superhero genre. But in the sense of real world, real life, is there such a thing? Everyone's imperfect. People aren't the heroic ideal that you might place on them. And so what do those nuances and those different sides of people 
mean for the concept of a hero? That's the whole symbol question, right? And in this show, we go into that a little bit, but that wasn't the main question that the show wanted to answer. Like, that's fine. I think it's interesting to set up some things for the future. And there's certainly enough in the Sam stuff that we talked about earlier that if we continue down this path then, okay, so what does it mean from Sharon's point of view? What does it mean from Sam's point of view in relation to whatever plot we end up seeing in future with these characters, how that ends up going about? I'm very here for it, which is way more engaged than I thought I would be at the beginning of this show. You know, when this started airing, I was like, yeah, it's all right, I guess. And by the end, I'm like, yeah, no, bring it. <laughs> Definitely here for whatever you've got planned. Yeah, and they make some interesting comments on symbols. I talked about how John tainted the symbol of Captain America by getting blood on the shield. There's a very powerful image of, oh, you've ruined that. You've taken something away from it. But also it's the whole idea that the symbol has to be more than the person that's embodying that symbol. I mean, a lot of people would say that Steve was as close to perfection as anybody can get, which we know that he wasn't. He was flawed. He made mistakes. In fact, they acknowledge a particular mistake in this show where Bucky says, Steve and I failed to think about the fact that putting the mantle of Captain America on a black man might be just too much for that person, might be too much for you, Sam. They admit that they didn't think it through. That is a flaw that Steve had, that he just assumed it would be fine. He just assumed that everything would play out as expected and didn't really consider the the complications because he doesn't have that perspective. So again, that's showing you that Steve was human. Obviously, none of that was really reflected in his exploits as Captain America. Although you could argue that the image was tainted when he broke the Sokovia Accords and went on the run. Although you'd never really get any sense of that from any of the films. In Spider-Man, they mention he's a war criminal now, but we have to show you the video. Yeah, And that's about it. But there's maybe a suggestion that the Captain America image is tainted by what Steve did as well, in a way. Maybe he redeemed it by saving half the world, bringing half the world back, helping to bring half the world back. We don't know. We don't have that context, but we have a lot of that. And I guess Sharon's view is, nah, the symbols are all nonsense because the people behind them have their own agendas. And she's living in this very underworldy, cutthroat, not pleasant place where everyone is stepping over each other to get to the top and she's part of that. So you can see where that point of view comes from. You can definitely understand how she gets there. But you don't really know where she was before, which means that there's a transition that you don't see. I guess we know that she's very good at pretending to be someone else because she was a spy and she pretended to be a nurse that lived across the hall from Steve for... I don't know, a long time, a few months at least. Mm -hmm. I think that's what this show excels at, though, in a way, is giving you that context to characters that don't have a lot of context. But also in the case of Sharon, it's got that Marvel problem of, oh, don't worry, we've got other projects later that we'll do stuff with, which means that her role within the show can be a bit limp. And then we're just going to reveal that she's the power broker, despite the fact that we've mentioned it for six episodes And we're not going to do anything with the power broker, despite the fact it should have been an important presence in this show based on our own setup. But we're not going to actually cover it in any detail here. And it was a clumsy reveal as well, where she just told Carly and then Batroc wandered in and overheard them. A bit clumsy there, Sharon. 
I kind of saw all of that a mile away. Oh, yeah, it wasn't a surprise. Yeah, they were not very subtle about it. And by the time that I think it was around when they were in Indonesia and they were having that fight by all the um, containers and stuff, and there was something fishy about her, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And when Sam was like, oh, I'll work my magic. I know people. I'll get you pardoned. And she was just like, yeah, yeah. I don't even think you'll do that, but it's fine. That's not how you expect someone who's been driven out of their country because of a miscommunication. You don't expect them to react like this. So I was like, what's happening here? And then she's like, oh, I can't leave this place because I'll be arrested. And then suddenly... (laughs) There she is, and it's not a problem. And it's like, okay, you're here (laughs) now, huh? By that point, it was like, okay, this power broker person looms over everything. And the longer we leave it, the more it becomes clear that it's someone we know. And that doesn't leave very many people in this cast, does it? So it's like, okay, I guess. Who's it going to be? John Walker? (laughs) He's not that smart. Lamar. (laughs) Suddenly. God, talk about another character who did not have enough lines. Yeah, and there's something iffy about killing off the black sidekick as well. And having a black sidekick. Mm. But I guess that's part of that entitlement piece, isn't it? The Captain America has a black sidekick. He was there to be killed so that John could make a colossal mistake that was it yeah it was so obviously that and it made me very sad he wasn't even around long enough and oh great let's fridge the black character that's fine (laughs) that's not (laughs) a trope again my god make up for it somewhat with the handling of isaiah bradley though i think he was such an interesting character. I don't know about making up, but Isaiah's character is very interesting, and I do really like what they did with him. It was good, I think, to have the perspective of a disillusioned Black person who's just been through so much that he cannot see redemption or the possibility of, you know, a better world. As Sam has said, if you've been through what he's been through, of course, of course you're going to be like, what is the point? There's no hope. Goodbye. Yeah, there's no getting around the decades Mm -hmm. of bitterness. You can't solve that in a few days or however long it is. And one thing that really stood out to me is when you have predominantly white produced things, I know this wasn't, but it tends to be when you have the other races or other groups or whatever, it tends to be quite monolithic. So two black characters will be on the same page about an issue. The Jewish characters will all agree with each other on an issue, whatever. Whereas in this, you had a conversation between two black characters where they were on completely different wavelengths about the same issue. And it was the issue of being Captain America, where Isaiah said they wouldn't let a black man be Captain America and no self-respecting black man should be Captain Mm -hmm. America. And Sam doesn't see it that way because his view is, well, I've fought for this country. We helped build this country. I want to help it progress in any way I can. And that's a very different side of that coin. And Isaiah can see that point of view as well. But Sam needs to hear that from him in order to reach that conclusion on his own. He needs to understand what he stands for and not be consumed by that same bitterness. So he has a more optimistic view of, okay, this history happened and it's horrible, but I'm all about what comes next, what we do to fix that. And that's symbolised through him making sure that Isaiah has an exhibit in the Smithsonian. You are remembered. You are no longer forgotten. Are people going to really look at this exhibit and pay attention to it? Well, maybe not, but it's there and it's 
It doesn't fix the problem by itself. Yeah, it's more than he ever had before any kind of recognition. I will agree that that kind of symbolic gesture, it's something, but it's not enough in terms of addressing specific reparations for specific crimes, for systemic issues, you know, all of that. They can be a start. And again, parallels to some of the stuff that's happening present day taking down Confederate statues and that sort of thing and erecting statues to actual black people who have either activists or like historical figures or literary figures or whoever instead of the Confederate people. It's not (laughs) by any stretch fixing anything systemic. But it's a start. And that's Sam's point, isn't it? We aren't going to fix these problems overnight, but we can work together to fix them over time. And that's that idea of recognising Isaiah. That's recognising one man Mm -hmm. in a long history of forgotten men and forgotten women and forgotten people and forgotten events because they don't match up with whatever narrative whoever was writing the history books at the time wanted to construct. So it's easy enough to just, we'll push that aside We'll forget about this dark chapter and creating superheroes. Yeah, it's not important. We'll get rid of this guy. We'll make sure he's forgotten. All that stuff. But now there is at least a restoration of his point of view and his contribution that people can look up. And I suppose there'll be enough people out there that want to know that information as well to give themselves some hope, I suppose. Plus, Carl Lumley. What an Mm, actor. Yeah. Seen him in a few things. Supergirl, he did really well. Mm. I would love to see a prequel miniseries about Isaiah Bradley, the young years. I think it would be quite hard-hitting. It would have to be. But I would like to see Hmm. it. Yeah, I think there could certainly be stuff to explore within something like that. An equal length or perhaps smaller. It's interesting what Disney Plus gets to do, or rather what Marvel gets to do with Disney Plus, in just making stories as long as they need to be. I will still argue... This series, I would cut a lot of the Indonesia stuff because I just didn't find it interesting. <laughs> Dancing, Daniel Brühl notwithstanding. <laughs> but largely, this was as long as it needed to be. Any longer, and what would it be about, really? WandaVision was a little bit longer, but it kind of served its purpose in how long it needed to be. So, yeah, perhaps something short, perhaps a three-parter or something like that, would be very interesting. Exploring minor characters and times that we haven't yet seen, I think could really work. But what we got from him here was certainly very thought-provoking. Yeah, very powerful. Great performance. I think it's necessary to get an actor of that kind of caliber for a role like this. We certainly felt all of his anguish and anger and resentment in the very few scenes that he was in, he quite literally stole the show. And how useful it is for Sam's development and him deciding that he's not going to be that same level of bitter. Yeah. He's not going to take that reality and accept it. He's going to try and do something about it. And he's in some position to do that where Isaiah isn't. There is literally nothing Isaiah could have done to make the world a better place because he was so brutally rejected by it whereas Sam isn't Sam was an Avenger so he has some clout as we see when he almost gets arrested for being black until they find out who he is yeah exactly a small moment but powerful enough all the same just (laughs) seriously (laughs) you guys 
Uh, I actually thought the background of the whole Avengers thing, so they are celebrities, that makes sense. There's no secret identity because he just... Yeah, everyone knows. himself as being Falcon when at the bank. Mm. Yeah. And finding out that they didn't get paid was... (laughs) It was quite interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting little practical bit of world building that I'm quite thankful for. Because, yeah, it's like the question of, did Tony Stark foot the bill for everything? And now that he's gone, it's just, yeah, I guess nobody pays us to save people. Slash, we need a day job, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) What does it mean for the remaining Avengers to just need a job of some kind? (laughs) what's the hulk doing is bruce banner being an academic somewhere (laughs) trying to get published looking for grant money (laughs) what's the deal yeah the show also tells you that they didn't get paid while they were avengers interesting how did they just live i hate when i think about these things watching the arrowverse shows i'm forever wondering where do these people get their money for all Mm. these things yeah (laughs) it's completely besides the point there's a point in arrow where they make point of the fact that he's lost all his money and then there's a line in one episode where they talk about his mother had a life insurance policy so when she was killed he was just living off that and it's okay i'm fine with that now i can deal with it i can resolve the fact that he can pay for his accommodations and his weapons and all that stuff that's fine but you have to wonder because they didn't have any side gigs when they were avenging so where was the money coming from i guess people like wanda and so on were just living in the compound so that would be yeah all their expenses would be met in that compound, but Sam wasn't, presumably. I mean, yeah, like the whole point was like he was kind of retired and not making very much and living in DC and having a hard time in Winter Soldier anyway. Yeah, a very interesting question, which we don't really get exact answers about, at least in the past, what was going on. My headcanon is that Tony Stark basically footed the bill, especially for the people who were living on the compound, but generally too. We need stuff. In a similar thing, Tony was kind of the source of everybody's uniforms, in particular the ones that had tech attached, but also the ones that didn't. Presumably he had them commissioned or made. And so now that he's gone, Wakandans step in and they give Sam his Captain America outfit, which is just very interesting. A, because he's black and he gets his outfit from Wakandans rather than America somewhere. But B, it just is a bit revealing about who gets these outfits made? Who makes this stuff? And now that Tony's (laughs) gone, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess he used to make all the stuff or have them made. And now... We need to find different ways to explain things. I'd like to see them, you know, keep this practical aspect of heroics (laughs) in mind going forward. There usually is some kind of explanation here and there, but specifically around money. (laughs) Around money and resources (laughs) and how the hell any of this gets done when your super rich benefactor's no longer there. I guess at some point they are going to have to address the whole Avengers question. Are the Avengers coming back in some way? And if so, what's going to bankroll them? Will it be Black Panther or Wakanda? Because it maybe can't be Black Panther because of what happened to Chadwick Mm. Boseman. But are Wakanda going to become the new money tree in effect? Are they going to be providing all the tech for stuff? We know from Spider-Man that Peter Parker has access to Mm -hmm. those resources. So he can conjure up a suit. So as long as, you know, Happy. I guess Rhodey can get his armor fixed because he knows Pepper, probably. Hmm. 
the Stark resources are probably still there, but I guess someone needs a connection to them. Because we're about to see things like Hawkeye, the new Hawkeye, Haley Steinfeld Hawkeye as in, and we're getting Ms. Marvel as well. Mm. Where's her costume coming from? That kind of stuff. So Wakanda could be a good source for those things. And Sam gets a better deal out of it anyway, because his suit's probably invincible, as long as no one shoots him in the face. Because vibranium. Yeah, exactly. Invincible. Because they make a point of destroying his old suit in this show. I guess beyond the point of it being reasonably repairable. Mm. That it forces that shift. Even then, they do it as a favour for Bucky rather than for Sam. Yeah. So interesting background details. Wakanda-funded Avengers, maybe, could be the next step for the global peacekeeping force or whatever. I don't know. It's these kind of things that nerds think about. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the detail. Details. Let me see the want... expense reports. I won't be happy. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have no idea how Bucky is living in a small apartment where he sleeps on the floor and has a television and nothing else. We don't know where he's getting that money from. It's clear there's not a lot anyway. But there's some. Hmm. We both know that living ain't cheap. Living in a place ain't cheap yeah 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 it's <laughs> digging deep into minutiae isn't it yes <laughs> finish off a bit on the, the themes we've touched on a lot of them hope and redemption and particularly through bucky with redemption i really liked how this quest for redemption was misguided as in he was doing the wrong things in order to make up for what he did because he had to find a way to give other people closure rather than give himself closure and again tapping into sam's counselling background where he says no no you have to do the work Mm. if you want to get better if you want to make people feel better if you want to feel better within yourself you have to do the work and that's a common phrase in therapy yeah do the work you have to do the work you have to do this yourself no one can do this for you and you have to figure out a way to do it and i think they brushed over that by having him quickly confess to is it yori Mm -hmm. his name is something like that confess to him that he killed his son and then they left it. He just abandoned him after that point and didn't go near him again. And then the next thing you know, he's finished his list. So there's a definite gap there that could have had a lot more exploration. So all right, he's done now. He's redeemed. He's fixed everything. He's made up for all his wrongs, sort of. I mean, not all of them, but as you say, an integral part of moving on and dealing with things is doing that work. And it's scary and terrifying and not always pleasant. But it needs doing. And it's interesting to see Bucky deal with that. I want to move on, but I don't want to have to do this. But I have to do this. Very real, very human side to a superhero problem, but dealt with a lot of empathy. Yeah, and his constant need for validation as well. Mm -hmm. Him being so upset with Sam for giving away the shield because he sees it as Steve maybe making the wrong judgment call about Sam which means he might have made the wrong judgment call about Bucky and his entire worth, his entire notion of how worthwhile he is, is connected to that opinion. And he has to realise that he has to love himself rather than worry about what someone else might have thought for him. Steve believed in him unconditionally, and that's one thing, and that's something that he can build on. But ultimately he has to get beyond that opinion and figure out himself. And... It's interesting how Sam helps him do that. For example, taking half an episode or so where he's just solving normal problems. He's helping fix a boat. He's being around people that accept him. He's seeing kids just enjoying life. And it's those little simple human touches. And that's what helps him see a way forward for himself as well. It's that 
no, no, I can be in this world. People will accept me. And I'm not just what I can do or what I've done. That's the journey he goes through. And I really think that works. I just wish we'd see more of that whole amending, not avenging side of things. Yeah. I mean, I guess the end title card that says Captain America and the Winter Soldier suggests that there's still a lot of work for the Winter Soldier to do before that title changes. I have to say it was nice to see that change on screen become very clear. That was pretty cool. Maybe it will build up to Captain America and the White Wolf. Ooh, that could be cool. Because he has to let go of that winter soldier identity Mm. because everything connected to it is awful and i don't think he's there yet and i think that title card might mean that or maybe i'm reading too much into it i mean yes and no i don't read too much into it right now but possible did you have anything else on themes that we didn't cover before that you wanted to say i just had notes on hope and redemption and heroism symbolism racism corruption We've touched on everything, yeah. Just on the note of themes, I think the last thing I would say is the friendship, or rather the connection between Bucky and Sam. It does link to a lot of what we've talked about, heroism and symbols, and Steve as a symbol, and what he meant to both of these people, and conversely, what they now start to mean to each other. I really like that line, we're just two guys who had a friend... And now the friend's gone, so now we're just two guys. (laughs) (laughs) What's it? We're partners? No, not that far. (laughs) (laughs) Colleagues at best. So yeah, it's very interesting seeing that evolution and the growth of respect that they have for one another. That relationship really shifts visibly for us. And we go from, are you going to move your seat? No. (laughs) To... (laughs) them actually being kind of buddies having bucky be the one white guy at the cookout just great warms my heart but yeah what grief means or how it evolves how it changes people and the relationships of the people left behind i guess if that's a theme it doesn't necessarily factor into the whole show but certainly in the relationship of Sam and Bucky, I think they grieve Steve in different ways. And it's cool to see them come together and recognize that this relationship has changed. It's something else now that Steve isn't here. But we still are part of each other's lives, whether we want to or not, because we're both superheroes. But also because we have had that connection to Steve and we can't ignore that. Whether it's on a more personal level, especially for Bucky... But Sam too. They were buds. They were close. It's not something to ignore. We don't go necessarily too deep into it. It's really that second to last episode where we get the bulk of that. And I appreciate that we get a bit of that evolution. The second last episode was my favorite for Mm. that reason, because I really just love seeing those long form character beats where it isn't necessarily about what's going on in the story. The whole point is they've got a bit of downtime and they're using it to just fix a boat. But what they're doing when fixing that boat tells you so much about the characters. And I think the interactions they had in those scenes were amazing. It's when Bucky uses the tool and Sam says, why didn't you just use the metal arm? He's like, I'm right-handed. I don't always think about it. <laughs> little things like that. Oh, it's I love moments that. of humanity. Well, it's funny. <laughs> that was so good. Well, I don't, and, I don't yeah. always think about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely live for moments like that Mm. in my favourite TV shows where they're just chilling out. I think one of my favourite scenes in the whole MCU is the party scene in Age of Ultron and then the everyone trying to lift Thor's hammer part that comes after it. Because that's just characters sitting around. Yeah. Being together. 
in talking to one another. It's not plot driven, it's character driven. And those bits are always great. So I think they do a really good job of making that friendship. And I don't think they would call it a friendship yet, mm-hmm. but it is. They do a really good job of making it believable yes. and making it grow believably. And, and they're defining the relationship outside of the person they both knew mm-hmm. as well. So that's new territory for everybody. And perhaps it might be a little bit mean to say, but having film caliber actors in a TV show makes all the difference. And they have great chemistry, the actors. It really helps, I think. They inhabit those characters. They do a really good job. I think next up, we've got Captain America 4, which will pick up at least some of the threads from this, most likely. So it'll be Sam as Captain America, Bucky might be in it, whatever. We don't know very much about it. We just know that it's been developed by the same production team that did this show, which makes sense. They're inheriting the Captain America story, I guess, now. So that's worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. It works. And it's interesting if you've skipped a show and only seen Endgame, because if you watch Endgame, you will just assume that Sam becomes Captain America. And if you don't see this intervening development to him getting there and then just pick up with this film where he is Captain America... You know what the end result's going to be. Mm-hmm. You can skip this. I'm not saying it's disposable and pointless because it's not, but I guess from a business point of view, it makes sense to people will be able to follow it because they were told this is where it was going. But I wasn't expecting a film, I have to say. I was expecting a second season. And I kind of prefer a second season because I like having this time mm-hmm. to develop these things. Yes. We'll see. They haven't particularly said, have they, if it's just going to be a movie now. No, but they've said there's one in development. They did release that humongous slate. Good God. (laughs) And I don't think that there was anything in there for this particular bit of the MCU. So my money's on probably season two, but we'll see, I suppose, whether that changes or gets announced later. Yeah, it was just kind of announced as in development the same day the finale aired. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't think it has a space yet, but maybe there'll be a season two before that film happens, or maybe, I don't know. It's just interesting that we're getting a Captain America 4 Mm -hmm. that might be this. So yeah, I think we should just wrap up now. Mm -hmm. Basically covered this in a lot of detail, wouldn't you say? I think so, yeah. So what are your final thoughts on this show? Final thoughts on Captain America and the Winter Soldier, as opposed to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I found myself not losing interest, but just kind of week to week, I think I was a little less engaged than I was with WandaVision. But ultimately, it wrapped up in a very good way. It definitely stuck the landing. The last couple episodes are phenomenal. And they make the rest of the show worth watching. And while that's not necessarily ideal writing, you could do better. I appreciate that we got to spend time with these characters and witness these changes rather than just get automatic Captain America Sam in the next iteration of whatever. Like I kind of said earlier, six and a half or seven out of ten. Three, three and a half stars. Enjoyed it. And I'm here for more when we get more. Still, it still remains one of my favorite aspects of the MCU. I've always loved the Captain America stuff a lot. So I'm just here for more adventures of Sam and Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, succinct wrap up. I think I'm more attached to the show than you were. I got more into it as it went on. I was really impressed with the stuff it was addressing, the stuff it was diving into, the character work. Character work is always my thing. If you read any of my reviews, I'm very character work centric. So even if the plot isn't making sense, if I find the character 
stuff is making sense. I'll forgive a lot of plot contrivance. Mm. I mean, I have to. I watch CW shows. <laughs> it's either that or I go nuts and all the inconsistencies and all the logic leaps and all that stuff. Just try and watch Supergirl and for the plot, you can't because they're just making it up as they go along. But the character stuff is always, or not always, but it's often very strong. So similar here, although I think the plot hung together quite well in terms of what they were trying to achieve, but the character work was spot on. I loved Sam and Bucky. I liked Zemo. I liked John Walker. I liked Isaiah Bradley. Sharon, for what she did in the show, was fine, but I have issues with her in general. She's problematic. Yes. Double Agent Carter. (laughs) Double Agent Carter. Do like that. (laughs) So yeah, here for more Captain America stuff. Here for more Sam Wilson as Captain America. Really impressed with what they did here and I just can't wait to see more and can't wait to see more Marvel stuff. I'm really excited with this slate of TV mixing with film and film mixing with TV and film turning into TV and then turning back into film and all this stuff, all the stuff they're doing. I'm just loving every minute of it. It's amazing that they've managed to keep such a cohesive continuity for so long. Yes. And evolved it in different ways, especially with this foray into television. Because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't count. Unfortunately, it doesn't count as much as I really enjoyed that show for quite some time. It pains me, but yeah, it doesn't count. Even the Netflix stuff kind of doesn't count. Well, completely doesn't count, yeah. It also hurts my heart because Daredevil and Jessica Jones were absolutely favorites. I love that stuff so much. And I'm looking forward to seeing where they take that if they do. But yeah, it is incredibly impressive. And not everything has landed for me. In the MCU, Lord knows if the listeners want to go back through some of our podcasts, you will hear me (laughs) whine about it. But on the whole, it's incredibly impressive, just the scope of all of this. And they did pull it off, as much as some of those films didn't necessarily tickle my pickle. um, (laughs) I'm sorry, my brain is doing weird (laughs) things. It is almost 10 p.m. at the time of recording. But yeah, it is very impressive. Yeah. Completely. I wonder if the actors are thinking that this is the point you want to be in in the MCU where you're getting these opportunities to really dig into these characters that we've been sitting in the background playing for so long. As in, you have the phase one, two, three, four side of things, or the phase one, two, three side of things where you've got your Robert Downey Jr., you've got your Chris Evans, but they're only in films and there's only so much time that can be spent on developing them as characters because they're action films. Whereas these TV shows are much more revealing in terms of who these people are. So I think there might be a situation where the actors are maybe getting more out of their current contributions. Yeah. That's just speculation. Mm. Nobody has said that. <laughs> no, but I can see I can see how that would be. Okay. So that would be our discussion on Falcon and Winter Soldier or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Captain America <laughs> and the Winter Soldier. Whatever the hell you Too want to call this. Too many titles. <laughs> Sam and Bucky go to Washington. I don't know. They do go to Washington at one point. (laughs) So, Kat, thank you very much for joining for this discussion, for take us through this in excruciating detail. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. And a big thank you to Neil Stenson for the supplied music. Thanks to our in-house artist Isaac for the artwork. And if you want to talk about Marvel, Falcon, Winter Soldier, anything else, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog. Just leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify anywhere you get your podcasts and if you're on apple please do leave a star rating and a comment five is our favorite number but any lower number that you want we'll take it because we have no choice but until next time i hope you'll catch us on neil before pod (laughs) 